set the context for you briefly. We've been going through, Jesus has been teaching in chapter 10 that He is the Good Shepherd, He is the gate. Those who trust in Him will never be snatched out of His hand because He holds us. He does not lose us. He is faithful. We are, in some incredible way, in eternity past, a gift from the Father to the Son. And the Son says, I will not lose any that you've given me. They then want to stone Jesus, but it wasn't his time yet. After he went away to the Jordan, back to where John was baptizing, and that's where we pick up today. Starting in verse 1. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to his disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. And are you going there again? Jesus answered, are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. It's been a little time since Jesus was dealing with the Pharisees. He's away. And now John is showing us the events that are about to take place that brings Jesus to the cross. This is what's starting His path to the cross. We said that the first ten chapters of John was covering two and a half, almost three years of Jesus' ministry. And now the remaining chapters are going to talk about His Last week, his death and his resurrection. Verse 1, now a certain man was ill. John's going to give us some context. Lazarus of Bethany. We haven't heard of this family yet in this gospel. Many of you are familiar with this family because you've read Matthew or Luke or other places. You understand there are others. You understand who these people are. But in the gospel of John, we have not met these people yet. 
Lazarus of Bethany. This is not the same place. This Bethany is about two miles east of Jerusalem. Jesus is further east, and so he's going to be heading that direction. This is the village of Mary and her sister Martha. He then gives us a little bit of context in verse 2 to help tell us who this is. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. What's interesting is we haven't covered that. It comes up next chapter. But there's an expectation. Realize that the Gospels, again, were not written the same days they were with Jesus. They were written after. This story of Mary had gotten around. People understood this story. They had heard about this story. And again, it can be found in other Gospels. So he's given us context here, saying that Jesus has a relationship. That's the point. Jesus has a relationship with these people. Lazarus, Martha, and Mary. Verse 3. So the sisters sent to him saying, Lord, and this is key, listen carefully. He whom you love is ill. Right away, we see by uh, third verse, John's already writing, telling the story as Martha has sent, most likely Martha has sent this letter, and she's saying, hey, the one that you love, he's sick. Now think for a second, have you ever had anyone sick in your life? Everybody, yes, of course, right? Some of you have sick people right now. That should get your attention. If someone that you love is sick, and I say to you, hey, such and such is sick, you're going to go, what? What do you, what do you mean sick? How, how sick are they? What's going on? Give us the details. Why? Because you care. Because you love them. Right? right? Sometimes when other people are talking about people they know that are sick, and you don't know them, if we're being honest, sometimes we tune out. If we're being honest. They're talking about someone... Oh, yeah, my cousin's brother's dog is sick. Like, what? I don't know what you're talking about. But if it's your dog, you really care. Now, we're talking about humans here. When it's someone that you care about, someone that you love, you, you care. And John is making that point from the get-go here. This is someone that Jesus loves. Martha or Mary, whoever sent the letter seems to be Martha, but they sent this message or letter, whatnot, to Jesus. And they're stating, the one whom you love. Why is that significant? Let's move on. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. Stamp it. Well, if I was told that, right, if you go to a doctor, the doctor says, oh, your, your, your wife's sick. Okay, great. And he says, this is an illness that doesn't lead to death. Oh, <laughs> good. I'm going to go get a cappuccino. I'll be back. <laughs> no, you wouldn't do that. But there's a lot of relief that would come from that. But as we read, that doesn't happen. Maybe Jesus was wrong. Nah? Okay, let's keep going. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. Now what he means by that death, we'll unpack a little bit, but it does not lead to death. But he does tell us what it's for. And this is interesting. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of Man may be glorified through it. Lazarus' sickness, that doesn't lead to death, which we'll get to, is for the glory of God, and so that the Son may be glorified. Now, some of you who listen very carefully over the last few weeks are going to remember another story where there was a sickness, it didn't lead to death, 
And there was a man, and they asked, what went on with this guy? Why does he have this particular sickness? I'm not going to give it away. Why does he have this sickness? Was it because of his sin? Or the sin of his parents? And what was Jesus' response? Someone in the congregation tell me. What was Jesus' response? It wasn't because of his sin. It wasn't because of the parents' sin. It is so the works of God may be displayed in him. Brothers and sisters, I want to camp here for just a second. You need to realize that there are a lot of bad things that happen, but you already know that. What I want to encourage you with this morning is in everything that's happening, there are two things that you need to know. Number one, God is working it for his glory. He is working everything for his glory. So you might say, but there are a lot of bad things that are happening. Oh, like people getting sick and dying? Our God is so powerful and so incredible that he can work sickness, death, and anything else bad for his glory. How does he do it? I have no earthly idea. I'm not God. But I worship the one who is. The first thing you need to remember that when something bad is happening, something you don't understand, something you don't like, the first thing you need to rest in is that God is using it for His glory. Which means He knows everything. That's the only way you can work everything for your glory. You have to know everything and you have to be all-powerful. And if it's for His glory, that means He's good. We were singing the song, He is good, good. Yes, we're saying that to Him, but truthfully, also while we're singing that song, we're saying that to our own hearts and we're saying that to one another because we need to hear it over and over and over again. Because when bad things are happening, we either question His power, He can't do anything about it, His knowledge, He doesn't know, He didn't even know about it, or His goodness. And the truth of the matter is, He's infinitely good, powerful, and all-knowing. He's using everything for His glory. You might say, well, that's great. That doesn't help me a lot. Turn quickly to Romans chapter 8. I want to read to you two verses. This is a wonderful passage of Scripture. I'm going to start reading in verse 28. Some of you have memorized this. Romans 8, 28. And we know, listen to this, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. What that verse means is every single thing that's happening, He works for your good if you love Him and you follow Him. Everything in your life. Where... The challenge comes in is when we look at our lives and we look at things that are happening and we go, I don't really see how this works. We forget that he's working it for his glory, but even sometimes we remember that, but we definitely forget that he's working it for our good. And we struggle. And I want you to walk away with the fact that you, if you're asking God, why is this happening? You already have the answer. You don't have to ask that question. It's the wrong question. Why is this happening? For His glory, for your good. That's why it's happening. The problem is, do you have enough faith to believe that? It's the wrong question. You want to know what the right question is? How do I glorify you in this? How do I glorify you through this? 
How, when my baby dies, do I give you glory? Because your word says you're using it for your glory and for my good, but I don't believe that right now. I need your grace. I need faith. Help me. Not, why are you doing this, God? You have the answer. If you want more details, you're probably going to have to wait till heaven. Where faith comes in is you're saying, it's for your glory, it's for my good. I believe that, help my unbelief. The right question is, how do I glorify you through this? As we read in Colossians earlier, all that we're to do is for the glory of the Lord. Corinthians, and Paul says in Corinthians this way, whether you eat, you drink, all that you do, to the glory of God. So the question ultimately is, when something's happening, things you're going through right now, I know some of you out here are struggling right now with stuff. Here's what you need to hear. Why? Because God is going to be glorified and it's going to be for your good. How? I don't know yet. Here's the question you need to know. How do you glorify God through this? That's what you need to know. Verse 5. Look what he says right away. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Twice now it's been said. Do you think Jesus loved Martha and Mary and Lazarus? Do you think John has been you know, particular to show us that he loves them, right? He's showing us. He's saying it. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he did the logical thing. He stayed two days longer in the place where he was. That's your plan, Jesus. That's love. Because when I get a phone call from Heather and someone, one of the kids or sick or something's happened, my response is, I got to get there. I'm going to ask enough questions to find out how serious this thing is, and then I'm leaving whatever I'm doing and I'm going. Why? Because I love my kids. John's just told us that Jesus loves them. Lazarus is ill, and he goes, I'll hang out a while. I'll hang out a while. Maybe it's because Jesus thinks he's not going to die. Right? He just said, well, this doesn't lead to death, so I'll hang out a while. But we know from the text that that's not the case. It's not that he doesn't know, it's that he does know. He knows exactly what's going to happen. He knows exactly what he's going to do. And it's because of that that he waits to go. Now, let, this is about a day trip. It takes about one day to get to where, from where Jesus is to where they are. If you wrote a letter to Jesus and you said, the one whom you love is ill, and you know Jesus can do something about that, because obviously you've heard about him, you send the letter, they knew where to send it to. Not like it was an email, it just goes to wherever he might be. They send it to the right place. And two days pass and he still hasn't come start to question some things. start to wonder some things. He waits two days longer. I want you to realize, brothers and sisters, that it doesn't mean he doesn't love them. Because he hasn't given them the answer that they want yet, it doesn't mean he doesn't love them. Because he hasn't given you the answer you want yet. It doesn't mean he doesn't love you. In fact, it's because he loves you that he hasn't given you the answer yet. 
He hasn't done what you've been pleading. You say, I've been waiting 35 years, 40 years, 50 years for this. Don't worry, he's working it out for his glory and for your good and the good of those involved. You need to trust him. That's why when we were reading, the men were reading earlier, they were reading Psalm 130. How do you wait for the Lord? How do Mary and Martha wait? Or I would say probably Martha at this point. How do they wait? Part of it is you wait with Scripture. You wait with truth of Scripture. Listen again to Psalm 130 that was read earlier. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. You ever been there? You're in the depths and you're crying out. Hear me, Lord. Listen to my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? Answer, nobody. Thankfully, he doesn't. Thankfully, Jesus dies for those. But with you, look at verse 4, but with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. There's forgiveness so that he may be feared and honored. Look at verse 5. This is what I want to encourage you with for those of you who are right in the middle of this right now. And you've sent the letter to Jesus. You've sent your prayers and you're saying, Jesus, where are you? Here's what I want to encourage you with today. Be like the psalmist who says, I wait for the Lord. My soul waits in His Word, I hope. That's where you have to hope. Because it's through His Word that we see Him. His Word is full of His promises. So you need to be reminded of His promises and that He keeps His promises. You need to be reminded of these things. You need to hope in His Word. My soul waits for the Lord more than the watchman for the morning. More than the watchman for the morning. If you've ever been on night shift, you know what this, is, what this means. You're waiting for the shift to get over. They're up on the gates. They're watching at night to make sure nothing's going to happen. No one's going to attack. And they're waiting. The watchman is waiting. With anticipation, believing. The, the watchman knows that the sun's coming up. He just has to wait for it. He knows the sun's going to rise. You have to know he's going to answer you. But the answer may be wait for now. Wait for the Lord. O Israel, all believers, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with Him is plentiful redemption, and He will redeem Israel from all of His iniquities. Back over to John. So when he heard Lazarus is ill, he stayed two more days. That means Mary and Martha, they're they're waiting longer. But he's doing it because of his love for them. He'll explain that. Continue. Then after this, he said to his disciples. So after the two days, he now says, all right, guys, let's go back to Judea. We're going to head that direction. The disciples said to him, whoa, whoa, Rabbi. The Jews were just now seeking to stone you. And you're going to go there again? By human standards, that doesn't make any sense. But Jesus isn't worried about that he's going to get stoned. Do you know why? It's not his time. And do you think he knows whether or not he's going to die from stoning or that he's going to be raised up? He already knows. He doesn't have to worry about that. It's not his time. It's not the way he's going to go anyway. And he goes on to answer, which is interesting. Look how he answers them. Verse 9. Jesus answered them, Are there not 12 hours in the day? Now some of you go, "Uh, Jesus, you know a lot, but there's 24. Okay. Context here, of course. He's talking about the daylight meaning the 12 hours of daylight. He's not getting specific on all the science. He's saying there's daytime, there's nighttime, 12 hours, 12 hours. 
Look what he says. If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. Jesus right now is saying for himself, what he's saying is he still has work to do. It's still daytime for him. He still needs to do his work. And that includes what he's going to do with Lazarus. And that then includes going to the cross. Now, you could say then at that, when the darkness comes and he stumbles, you could say that applies to his death. But what I think this is in here for is for us. Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. You know who the light of this world ultimately is? Jesus. And you know what his word is? It's a light to our path, right? It's a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. If you will walk in the light, if you will walk following Jesus, if you will walk in accordance to his word, you will not stumble. You will not stumble. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. This could be going far enough to even say that those who continue, and we've talked about this before, well, we all, but we all stumble from time to time. Well, yeah, it's because you don't get in his word and you flip off the light switch and then you hit your leg on the side of the bed. What he's talking about here is this walking in darkness. Make no mistake, Christians do not walk in darkness. And the way that's defined is unrepentant sin. Unrepentant sin. Darkness. I'm living in darkness. I love the darkness. I'm going to keep hanging out in the darkness. That's what it means to walk. First John talks about this. If you're here and you are walking in darkness, I would encourage you, I would exhort you to cry out to God for Him to search your heart and show whether you really know Him or not. Because true Christians walk in the light. It doesn't mean that we don't sometimes flip off the switch and stumble for a moment. But you do not walk in darkness. Live in darkness. That is unrepentant sin. It's not that we're perfect. That's not what he's saying. He's saying we don't live that way. We're not defined by it. After saying these things, verse 11, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. This isn't that bizarre that he used this? Because that's a usage of death in the Old Testament, sleep. The reason that sleep is used is because sleep, you wake up from sleep. So the picture there is this resurrection that comes. But his disciples didn't get it. They say to him, the disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now, Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought they meant taking rest and sleep. Verse 14. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. I'm very thankful that sometimes the Lord just tells us things plainly. (laughs) They should have understood that. They didn't. So he just says, okay, here's what I mean. I'm very thankful that he does that with us patiently. Look what he says, verse 14. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. Verse 15. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there. Jesus couldn't have meant that that Lazarus was not going to die. What he meant was, one, he was going to die, but he was going to bring him back. And two, ultimately, you can say this applies to ultimate death. But he already knew in his plan that, yeah, he's going to die, but I'm going to bring him back. It's not going to lead to that type of death. And you can certainly apply it to eternal death. Verse 16. 
That's not what's going to happen for Lazarus. But Jesus says to them, I'm glad for your sake that I'm not there, so that you may believe. It's actually better for them that Jesus wasn't there, because if he was there, what would have happened? Somebody tell me, if Jesus was there, what would have happened? What? He wouldn't have died. Now, what's interesting, though, is that Jesus already showed us he doesn't have to be there to heal people. But it's true. The thinking was, if he's there, he would heal him. And Jesus says, it's better that I'm not there because I need you to believe another thing about me. He's been showing us throughout the text, throughout the John, who he is. He's the Messiah, right? He hasn't done this one yet. He's going to raise somebody from the dead. And then he's going to go to the cross and die. And then he's going to lay down his life, but then he's going to take it back up again. Why this is encouraging for us is, if he can't raise Lazarus, then we don't have any hope. If he doesn't have authority over death, if, if it just is a matter of whether he's going to get there in time or not, we're in big trouble. But if he knows everything and he can say, no, no, you need to die so that I can raise you up and give you a new body, then we're in good shape. <laughs> we're in good shape. All right, so let's finish the text. For your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Now we get the last verse. And this is great. Thomas gets a bad rap, right? What do we know Thomas as? Doubting Thomas, right? Why do we forget about him here? Look at this. Now, he might be a little pessimistic, but that's probably half of you in here, right? Half of you are probably empty, glasses half empty. But look what he's saying here. But let us go to him. So Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, here's where you go. Let us also go, that we may die with him. I would like to be remembered by saying that. They just said to him, Jesus, why do you want to go back there? They're going to kill you. Jesus says, I got more stuff to do. You guys have more stuff to do. We have more to do. So let's go, because he just explained in verse 15, your belief, if you will go with Jesus, if Thomas, if the disciples will travel with Jesus, their belief is going to grow. But if they won't go with him, their belief is going to stay small. But they'll be safe. They'll be safe. They could stay here. Jesus could go. He could go and die. They'll be safe, but their belief, their faith is going to be less. Here's what Thomas is saying. Our belief in Jesus is so important and it needs to grow that he's worth following even unto death. He's worth following even unto death. And some of you are not even willing to follow him in your daily Bible reading. And Thomas is saying, he's worthy of following unto death. The question is, do you believe that? Not, well, you're not following Jesus now because, oh, you have to. Do you understand his worth? Do you see his beauty? Do you see his splendor? Do you see how amazing he is? Is he really the life for you? Is your life hidden with Christ? That you would say, 
for me to increase my faith, for me to believe more in Jesus, he's worth following everywhere. Out of my comfort zone, he's worth me following him down to the corner to tell somebody about Jesus. He's worth me getting up and reading my Bible. He's worth me praying. He's worth me gathering with the saints. He is worth everything, including following him to death. Is he worth it to you? What I want us to think about today is if there's some of you in here who you do not know Jesus, you do not trust in Jesus, you don't understand the worth of Jesus, you need to cry out to Him. You need to cry out to Him and say, Jesus, I'm spiritually dead. And I don't want to wait any longer. I want life. For the rest of you here who are followers of Jesus, I want to remind you of these couple of things that we saw today. Number one, everything that's going on in your life right now When you ask the question why, the answer is for his glory and for your good. So you need to ask the question, how do I glorify you? The second thing, realize just because you're waiting on the Lord doesn't mean he doesn't love you. You are waiting because he loves you. Walk in the light, not in darkness. And last, follow him even unto death. He is worth it. Let's pray. Father, we love you and thank you for this time together. We thank you for this first part of the story of Lazarus. And we thank you that you, you keep these details in there, Lord, to teach us so much. You, you teach us that in your sovereignty, you know all that's happening. You're working all things for your glory and for our good. We just need to trust in you. I pray for my brothers and sisters here today. Lord, I know that there are some who are hurting and they're struggling with waiting on you. Help them realize that the wait shows your love. Help them realize you're working it for their good. Help them to preach that to themselves. Help the rest of us to preach it to one another. Lord, I I fear that we have some that are walking in darkness right now the path they're heading on and they're concealing it and they're hiding it from other people. It's unrepentant sin and they're just trying to hide it. But Lord, you see to the heart. You know everything that's going on. I pray they would repent of that. And Lord, I pray that you would show us your glory. You would show us that you are worthy for us to follow even unto death. Help us to have the same mind that Thomas does. That you're worth following unto death. We love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.